video recordings of this podcast can be found on RaisingEquity.org and Truth to Power on YouTube. Earlier this month, uh, four white women went into a Memphis mall wearing hoodies, which might seem like no big deal, but they did it in response to young black men being handcuffed and detained for doing the same thing. I would call that leveraging your privilege. So using your identity and um, a part of your identity that gives you privilege to highlight a disparity in our society or some sort of mistreatment um, and make clear how privilege operates in our society. So today we have with us Sherry Ennis, Rebecca Geller, Shannon Arthur, and Rye Estep. They are the women that I just mentioned, and thanks for joining me. Thanks Our for pleasure. having us. Thank you. Yeah. So I'm hoping that this conversation can help other people understand, you know, what's behind actions like this. Like sometimes we see things on the news or going viral on Facebook, like your post did. And we wonder like, okay, how did it, how did it come about? How did it, how did it happen? And uh, hopefully it inspires other people to think about how they can act in their own spheres of influence. So can someone tell me how the action came about? It was all Shannon's idea. <laughs> yeah, um, I read about the incident at the mall um, and it struck something in me that this is not okay. I know, we know this goes on all the time, but it seemed like this time it just, it, it went too far, especially because the um, gentleman who was a former reporter, Mr. McKenzie, um, bravely inserted himself into the situation by recording what was happening and then he was targeted and um you know if, you, if you've seen the video that he captured you know what happened and how it, it's bewildering so um I can't stand the thought of that happening to my friends and my neighbors and oh. I, I just had this idea that seemed like maybe we could do something mm-hmm so it just hit you it struck you and it sounds like you know this person or just feeling their common humanity, like this is wrong. These are, these are people in my community. These are, this is our community. But we've never met them. We just no, we've read never about met it. Them. And, <laughs> nope. <laughs> so Shannon posted on Facebook and said, hey, any of my white friends want to join me and let's just go to the mall and all wear hoodies and just see what happens. I'm like, I'm in. I'm like, yeah, we're right. in. We're in. Sounds great. <laughs> Yeah, so it was just the three of you that said you're in. Shannon, were there other people that said they were interested? There were some maybe people. Um, there were some people that wanted to come but had other obligations that evening and couldn't make it. There were several people, white mom friends, who said, I don't want to get arrested. I'm not doing anything like that. And I said, no, that's the point. We're not going to get arrested. <laughs> Nothing is going to happen to us. <laughs> we all made jokes with our husbands about making sure they had bail money for us and their phones on them when we went to the mall. And <laughs> Oh, no joke. My husband had bail money. <laughs> yeah. But, Just in case, but, but we knew you know, nothing was going to happen. We really knew nothing was going to happen. We knew nothing would likely happen, but things can go sideways really quick in Memphis. That's true. That's and, true. You know. Mm. I, I just, I told my husband and my boys, I said, just be prepared. <laughs> I mean, because if it goes, if we get confrontational, it's going to not end when, well. <laughs> we did not get confrontational, but you right. never know. You never know how it's going to get perceived. Exactly. We, right. And I didn't think anything would happen if it was just us. But, you know, we, 
we had no idea what else was happening at the mall that night. And if another situation like happened to those young men was going mm. down, we probably would have intervened and we could have ended up in the same situation as Mr. McKenzie, who mm-hmm. spoke up and uh, recorded it. Yeah. So, Rye, why, why did you decide to say, I'll do it? Why jump in? I thought it was a great idea, and I thought it was a way to to speak out. I think, uh, I know that there's a lot of white people who don't believe that racial profiling or systemic racism exists. I think it's the minority, but there are definitely people, and I got some messages after this went viral, we got some messages about that. Um, but I think even if you acknowledge that it exists, people don't say anything about it. People don't speak out about it and speak out against it. And even if that's all we accomplished is just to say, hey, we notice and we have a problem with this. Um, it seemed like it seemed like a worthwhile thing to do. Mm-hmm. And Rebecca, you you also, you know, rose your hand and said, I'll I'll do it, right? So is systemic racism something that you all as friends talk about? Well, we see it. Unfortunately, it's a part of our, I hate to say daily life, but it's definitely, it's definitely there. And for me, it was, it was, I'll do it because I also think that we set by example. And one thing that we always tell our children is if you see something wrong, stand up. If you see somebody being bullied, don't let it happen. Um, So when I left, my kids asked me, where are you going? Why are you doing this? And I gave them very honest answers. And they gave me hugs and said, we're proud of you. Um, Mm -hmm. Go do what you need to do. But I think you set by example. And if we want future generations, we want people to learn from it, but also future generations to not accept it. So I think you just set by example. Yeah. How old are your kids? Eight and 10. (gasps) Mine are nine and 11. Yeah. And, you know, I, I started this whole idea of like raising equity for that reason. Like we need to be raising kids to be the change that we want to see in the world. Like we might not get it right. We're tr- there's some of us who are trying, like you said, but if we don't, they need to be able to pick up where we left off and not be stumbling through just understanding these concepts or believing the kind of myth of colorblindness that race doesn't matter. Like, oh yeah, maybe we could get there. But even I argue, I want you to see that I'm black. Like, I don't want you to be blind to that. I want you to see it. And I want you to also relish and and know your history. And so can we be who we are together? So I think it's beautiful that you're being honest with your kids. People sometimes say, oh, they're so young. Can you talk to them? I'm like, yeah, we've been talking about that. That's, that's when you do talk to them. Right. Yeah. That's when you do. That's when they're young. Right. 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 And Sherry, how old are your kids? Uh, 25 and 23. So did you have these conversations with them when they were younger? Uh, they were born in the Netherlands. We lived in Europe for eight years. So um, they were exposed to many, many different cultures and ways of life. So yes, this has always been on our, on our radar. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. It's, it's a little more accentuated living in Memphis, though. Uh, truly. And in the yeah. South. So ha- when you came back from um, living in the Netherlands, did you locate in Memphis? Uh, we moved back in 2000. And okay. uh, we lived in uh, Kentucky briefly. And then we moved to Memphis in 2001. 
Mm. So you've been in the South. Yeah. 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 And sometimes people talk about, you know, I'm here in St. Louis, which was, you know, it, it is a very Southern state. Um, but people sometimes say, oh, the North's different. Well, eh, it's all, there's racism everywhere. Yeah, I <laughs> think Memphis and St. Louis are very similar in a lot of ways. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yes. yes. In fact, yes. I've yes. been saying with dread for a while, I'm so, so afraid that Memphis is going to be the next Ferguson, you know, mm-hmm. things that mm-hmm. what blew up there could easily blow up here. Really? So do you feel it in terms of what the dynamics between the police and the community? Between everybody, the, the, the city is so segregated. I think you can feel it anywhere. Um, you can even feel it at, at, well, for me, sometimes even at work. Um, I'm a physician and when I was doing my residency, especially working in the inner city, And I'm from Vermont, so I had very little experience with any kind of race because I lived in a completely white environment. And then I moved to Memphis for residency, and I did have some situations where African-American patients would look at me with suspicion or Mm -hmm. look at me like, you're treating me differently because I'm black or you don't believe me because I'm black. And I was very confused about it when I first moved here. I'd never encountered anything like that before. But you just feel that racial tension all over the place in this city. Um, I think it's a little bit better now that I'm no longer in the inner city and I'm working out in the suburbs. Um, I don't feel it nearly as much, but there can still be some subtle tension there. Sounds very much like St. Louis. Yeah, yeah. Um, So one of the things I wanted to ask is, it's clear that you all are understanding that systemic racism exists. And so that's not a question for you all. Um, But what about the flip side? So the flip side of oppression is the privilege. Is that something that you all talk about with each other? Like the privilege that you have? And clearly that's what spurred you to do what you did. But do you you use that word? Because sometimes for folks, it can be a lightning rod and a controversial term to use. Not in casual conversations usually. to lunch we're having girls night it's not hey let's talk about how privileged we are <laughs> but if if um current events comes up you know yeah i mean we're i think i think we all pay attention to the news and we we stay updated on just events of the day and a lot of them involve just wrong events wrong occurrences of racism and you know that's what motivated us to do this and it it occurs daily mm-hmm. and so i mean we don't necessarily get together and talk about it i i just met these two ladies when we were at the mall you did you brought us all together that's great uh, one of the things i like to ask folks is when you first became aware of your privilege because oftentimes when we talk about racism, we'll talk about like the awful things that happen, whether it's the enslavement of black people or the civil rights movement, but we often leave invisible the privileges that we get. So when did you in your life become aware, oh, like things are set up for me, things are built for me because I'm white? I'll say um, it started in adulthood in my 20s, really. Um, you know, I was aware of discrimination growing up, but not 
I mean, I'm still, I still probably don't understand how deep it goes. Um, and I'm conscious of that. Um, but really when I became a mom and started thinking about the life lessons I needed to teach my kids and realizing that the things I have to teach my white blonde children are not completely the same as the things that my black friends have to teach their children. Um, and, you know, we read the news and when things like the Trayvon Martin shooting come up, I realized I, I will never have to have that talk with my sons that you should never walk through a dark neighborhood with a hoodie up because someone might think that you're going to burglarize the place and you're going to get shot. I mean, that's just not something that I have to worry about. And I realized, oh, my God, my my black friends, like they have oh. to tell their mm -hmm. like they're nine and ten year old boys, probably that. And that's heartbreaking. It's just yeah, yeah it's not OK. It's a daily concern for if you have young black children every day. Every day. And then, and then hearing stories of, um, you know, black men friends who were terrified to drive through the city because, yeah, yeah. you know, and their, their heart stops if they see a police car. Um, there's even a, a device that you can get to put on uh, your driver's door so you can put your license and your ID and your insurance so you don't have to reach. Oh, really? So it sounds like those he, being in proximity or having relationships with people who experience the discrimination is what helped you to to see the privilege. That's one thing I told uh, I was talking about just a little bit ago is um, it wasn't sadly I knew about discrimination, but it wasn't until a couple of years ago that I really learned that I had this privilege because one of my friends was uh, talking about how he had been driving and there had been a robbery and because he's black the police naturally suspected him and mm. in their minds naturally, obviously, and uh, pulled him over. And I'm like, okay, he got pulled over. I mean, I've been pulled over. And he said, yeah. And then I looked at my rear view mirror and the, the guns were drawn as they approached his car. Now, as a white woman, I can tell you I've been pulled over for speeding or whatnot. And not once has their guns been taken out of their holster when they approached me. Right. And I was like, oh my gosh. And that's when it hit me that we have this privilege because he probably, and he told me that this was not an isolated incident. So that just broke my heart. And that's when it dawned on me that we have this, that we didn't even realize we had. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I often use the analogy. It's kind of like a fish in water. You don't know you're wet. Like what water? I'm just a fish. It's just, it's, it's like that. It can be like that. And I'm in terms of like being women, there's that intersectionality, right? Like, we, as a black woman or as a white woman, there's there's a lot about our identities that, um, as women, we experience the discrimination. Uh, and then, you know, like, how do you make sense of, I don't know if you all have, have talked about that together or have any thoughts about, you know, how you navigate the, the privilege of being a white woman, but also the oppression and the disadvantage that can come with being a woman. That's... Um... As a female going into science and technology, being a chemistry major and then going into a surgical specialty, um, mm. I, I definitely see see sides of that as well, especially women that don't want to go into surgery in general have a very hard time. Um, they're definitely discriminated against and they're definitely not 
treated well. And, but yeah, I think it's much worse for the African-American females who are trying to get into mm -hmm. any field of medicine um, and surgical as well. Um, but I think, almost to change topic, my experience with when I really realized that racial profiling was was a really big systemic problem has really been in the last couple of years because cell phones and cell phone videos have become yeah. so easy. And I didn't, it's one thing to read a story or to hear about something, but when you're seeing all of these videos and people start videoing all of these incidences and they start popping up on your Facebook feed, mm. you just see them over and over. And I never really realized how big a problem it was until really the last several years. I think that's a huge testament to people recording you know, and posting the recordings. There are times where I've heard people say, oh, you know, everyone's recording everyone and it's a problem. But I think you speak to the power of that. Like when you show people what what you're experiencing or even like with Starbucks, the there was a white woman there who, you know, had the had the courage and, and leveraged her privilege, I would say, to know that she could record and wouldn't be arrested along with the two black men, right? That's the only reason why we know about that. If the two black men had said what happened, I don't think we would have had this same response and that Starbucks would have taken a day off and done a training. I don't know what you all think. Well, it also drives me crazy when I see these videos and then if you start reading the comments, all the comments say, well, there must be more to the story. They must have done right, something right. right before the video started. Like, well, maybe they didn't. There must be more because I think that there's people in a safe white bubble don't want to, they want to put up mental blocks sometimes and not admit it's a problem because if you admit it's a problem, then you might be forced to actually do something about it. Mm. And if you deny the problem exists, then you can just go back to your nice little safe world and keep living guilt-free. Mm -hmm. So what would you all say if you could say something to other people about, you know, if you're thinking about stepping out and leveraging a privilege, if you're thinking about standing up or saying something about something you see that you feel like is wrong, what advice would you give to them? If you have black friends, maybe talk to them about it. <laughs> did you did you talk to people before you did it? I I, I did, yeah, to make Your sure I wasn't friend. being a clueless yep. a hole. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, I was like, I, am I doing something really stupid here? Am I going to offend you in some way I'm not even aware of? Right? Are we stepping into something we yeah. shouldn't? And right? it was like no, because. If you're not an oppressed group, or if you are an oppressed group, you can't do this. And if people that aren't oppressed don't do this, it stays the same. Oh, I'll give you an example. I, I did almost chicken out before we went to the mall. I, I, I didn't almost chicken out, but I, I, I did. It was, it was, I was a little nervous. And um, mm. I took a, a Lyft, like an Uber car, to the mall from my home. Mm -hmm. And um, the driver who picked me up was uh, an African-American lady. She's driven me before. She remembered me. She was like, hey, how's it going? Um, she picked me up. We started driving in the car. And 
Um, she said, why are you going to the mall in a lift car at night? <laughs> and I said, okay, I'm going to tell you what I'm doing and you tell me if it's crazy. And I explain it to her and she looks at me and I'm thinking, oh, she's going to tell me I'm stupid. And, and she goes, that is so great. She says, I, I can't speak up about it. She's like, my, my three kids, they can't speak up about it. And she's like, I think that's so great that somebody cares enough to go do that and make this point. And so at that point, I was like, okay, well, it's on. Mm -hmm. right, right. So we, I wish we had the name of the woman who took the picture. Because it was an African-American woman who took the picture. Great. I'd love to oh. give her a photo cred. Yeah, the mom who took the picture that went viral. Yeah. 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 Oh, gosh. She's probably thinking, what? Is I know. Nobody I know. She, she had no idea. Yeah. 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 Was she just somebody walking in the mall? Yeah, we literally stopped a random yeah. stranger and said, please take a picture She was with us. her kids yeah. playing video games. And um, yeah, well, but we had no idea no. that it was going to go viral. No. You know, right. Right. Like, no. we, well, we took one with the hood up and one with the hood down. And we walked around the mall <laughs> and then I ran my mouth on Facebook, which I do all the time. And um, I don't know. And it, it, it was crazy. Like, I thought maybe maybe 100, 200 friends, like collective friends yeah. would mm. chime in and, you know, respond or, you know, say something. Um, I posted it as I was getting on a plane and mm -hmm. when, and then shut my phone off. I got, <laughs> the plane landed and I turned my phone back on and I was like, holy shit. <laughs> I did not expect at all. I did not expect at all the response yeah. that it got. Yeah. 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 Well, I really appreciate you all leveraging your privilege. And to me, it's a, it really embodies what I wanted this challenge to be about. So it was perfect timing. <laughs> we didn't plan it at all, right? But it was perfect timing because people ask me, oh, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? And I could, simp I could say, yeah, these women, they had an idea, they saw something and they took, an a they took action. Um, I, I have two more questions. One, do you all consider yourself allies? People use that term. Um, some people are even using the term accomplice now because they're saying, oh, well, that makes it sound like you're willing to like really get in there rather than just an ally and stand by. Like, is, do you all consider yourself allies? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I, I consider you allies in the fight against racism. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you say? That's a compliment, I guess. Thank you. <laughs> Oh, yes. I mean, thank you, because they're right there as a person who's in an oppressed group. It's harder to to speak out and not have people think it's self-serving. Right. So like as a woman talking about the pay gap, people are going to think, oh, you just want more money. Well, it's like, well, yeah, but there's there's a pay gap. <laughs> so it takes and, and you're not saying that. anything then in a way you're condoning it. So um, mm -hmm. I think we all care enough that we'll we'll take the criticism because it's worth, it's worth the risk of um, encouraging other people to speak up and make change. Yep. Silence is uh, compliance and being complicit. Yeah, silence is complicit. Uh, so what's next for you all? Are you, do you all have anything else planned as a group or individually? <laughs> we have this movie deal. We have this movie deal. No. <laughs> Waiting for another crazy idea to come along. <laughs> no, we don't. Um, we don't have a plan. We don't have a plan. <laughs> have Something a plan. will come up though. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's I what I want to just say for folks who are going to watch this, like oftentimes in moments like this, there's not a grand plan. 
And at least in Ferguson, one of the things that uh, we started to think was actually a, a benefit the outside world criticized, the fact that it was a leaderless movement, the fact that there were people in different spaces taking action and not waiting for one person to you know, bless them with the permission to act. And so I, I think it's actually powerful. I feel like it's a really powerful time where people are feeling that they're able to act in small groups in, in their, what I would say, um, in their own space, right? Beverly Tatum. I don't Have you all read the book, Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria and Other Conversations About Race? It's a good one. Um, and she talks about knowing your sphere of influence, like whether it's Sunday school or work or your home, like where's your sphere of influence and how can you act in that space? Uh, and just people feeling like, are knowing that they can act and they don't have to have a grand plan, but they can know that they want to do something. So thank you for doing more than something. Can I, can I go back and add um, to the answer to the question, what would we say to others that we, yeah. we yeah. want to encourage them to leverage their privilege? I, I mean, it, it doesn't have to be something that people are going to see on social media. Small acts of kindness can go so far. Mm. Um, if you see somebody being mistreated at a restaurant or a store, um, intervene, you know, mediate for them. Yeah, step up. Not, not only for their benefit, but to set an example for other people yeah. who are just mm. being silent and being complicit, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we see that all the time in our community. It's uh, sadly, it happens a lot. Um, yeah, any 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 opportunity to reach out and just be kind to people and, you know, let them know that they have allies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, and what I like about what you all did is it, it highlighted the pattern of of disparate treatment. Right. So that rule isn't being enforced. Across races equitably. And so um, that idea of being kind, yes, but you all shown you really did shine a light on. Uh, disparate treatment and the, the pattern of disparate treatment. And that's that push and pull that I, as a psychologist, I want people to understand their individual actions and their impact on others. But I also want them to see like the system and the pattern. And so I think what you did was to help people see that. Sherry, were you about to jump in and say something? No, uh, not really. I just, uh, I don't know if I'm going to go to Wolf Chase Mall anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> I think we are, are Faces are on posters there. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say it's a boycott because they're treating people unfairly. <laughs> that too. Or not too. like we want to go there. But no, yeah. no, I'm not a mall shopper, but uh, but I, I'm I'm sure they're looking out for us. <laughs> you think? Do you think? I'm joking. I'm it might joking. be okay. I just do like a, I, I, I doubt we're very welcome there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But I do like the people that we don't even know. Yeah come up, uh, people at my job that I rarely, I might see once in a long, long time will come up to me and just thank me. It goes back to that allies. They just thank me. And I'm, I, it took a while for me to be able to even accept it. Thanks because it didn't feel like, and, and we still don't feel like we, we didn't, didn't do anything. anything. I didn't do anything. All we did was we walk walked through the mall. <laughs> I mean, and, and our message is only what black people have been saying, but nobody's been listening to them the entire time is there's not, I mean, there's racial profiling, there's injustice. And so we didn't do anything. So these people just come up and just thank us and give us hugs and yeah. gratitude. And it's like, I want to give you, I'm sorry, because really yeah. there's, there's no thanking. This should never even exist. So it's just, it's 
overwhelming at moments. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And, and that's how privilege is powerful and can operate. We're not even aware of it. Like we don't even realize we have it. Like you said, you don't feel like you did anything because you have the, I would say there's two, well, not I would say, but in the research, there's two kinds of privilege. It's unearned entitlements and conferred dominance. And unearned entitlements are those things that we should all be able to do, like go to the mall and wear a hoodie, right? So you all didn't do anything except for you have the privilege, this unearned entitlement of being able to be in the world and take up space that other people, black people in particular, don't have. And then the conferred dominance is the one where we're given dominance over another group. So that might be like, you know, family structure, um, even though we passed the same sex marriage act, that there's a lot of ways in which uh, same sex partners still have discrimination, whether it's I'm not baking a cake for you or other things. Right. So that's when like a group is given dominance or seen as better than others. And that's the one that's the kind of privilege we don't want to continue. But these unearned entitlements, like why can't everyone walk through the mall and take up space? Why couldn't Trayvon Martin walk in the neighborhood and have some Skittles and an iced tea, right? Exactly. So, yeah, thank you for shining. And that's why I wanted to just raise up what you all did, because I do thank you for having the courage to acknowledge your white privilege enough to do this thing, like you said, doesn't feel like anything, but it's huge in highlighting how privilege operates, because so often... We just go to the stories of despair and discrimination, which, like you said, for some people, they they don't believe it. They think you're exaggerating. They think you're making it up. But for you all to highlight how your privilege operates, it's powerful. It is. Anyone have any final thoughts they want to share? Um, no. I'm, I'm very much enjoying the content on your website and uh, oh, learning a lot. And I'm hoping that it triggers ideas of how to continue to be an ally, be a better ally, um, and, you know, maybe have an idea for something else we can do. Awesome. Well, I'd well, like to give a shout out to Shannon though, because seriously, <laughs> I mean, okay, we, we all have learned throughout our lives at whatever point about white privilege and about, you know, society, but I didn't realize how many African-Americans felt alone mm-hmm. until they started approaching and saying, thank you. So, and I wouldn't, I still to this day would not have known this had Shannon not sent that blast out saying who wants to join me. So thank you. Thank you for joining me. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to put you on the Thanks for being great. And thanks for coming, even though you thought there was maybe a small chance you might end up in jail. <laughs> well, there are, yeah, there are some things worth being put in jail over, you know, worth getting trouble and we all would have gone yeah. and yep, and we would have stuck we by what we been did. out pretty quick. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, <laughs> it, it would have been less sad if we hadn't gone to jail because at least, I mean, we would have been wrong, right? Like right. the, the, yeah. the, the rule yeah. would have been Applied. enforced consistently. Yeah. And we'd have been like, oh, well, okay. We Maybe it's not as bad as we thought, but right. yeah. <laughs> and that's where some of the hope lied in, in a sense, the optimism, the naive naiveness of it it was just okay well maybe i will be arrested because maybe it will be maybe small small chance and just wasn't right yeah Hmm. well thank you all for joining me i know being um being busy people professional women it's not easy to find a time where four people can be together so i appreciate you all you know making the effort and um yeah please do be in touch on my webpage and you have my contact info and um I will let you know. I don't, we're probably going to try to push this out pretty soon. 
uh, because it's timely. And I feel like tis the season, right? We're in this time of year where people are wanting to like be kind to each other and, and, and spread love. So like, let's leverage the hell out of our privilege. Yeah. New Year's resolutions. New Year's resolutions. (laughs) And yeah. Yep. I was just thinking, I didn't know how to say this tactfully, but white people love to do like random acts of kindness stuff during the holidays. And um, so yeah, Yeah. one month a year, maybe, maybe, maybe we inspire a little bit. Just that's something, something, anything speak up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's what I'm hoping. Yeah. Really. And it's not, I don't think it's, so St. Louis, this fun fact, the year that Mike Brown was killed, fun and tragic, the year that Mike Brown was killed, 2014, St. Louis was one of the most philanthropic cities in the country, right? Like the philanthropy through the roof. I think the Catholic church and that environment is part of that, but just really a giving city. Um, and the Ferguson uprising, right? So this like balance of, okay, can we be targeted in our uh, spirit of giving and how we, how we, um, serve people and maybe be with people and like change the root cause of why things are bad rather than just do kind things. Right. Like there's been a real conversation in St. Louis around like the juxtaposition with our philanthropy and our systemic racism. So yeah, maybe Memphis, like you said, Memphis and St. Louis have a lot to learn from each other. Yeah. Well, thank you all. And uh, have a wonderful, wonderful evening. Thank Thank you. you.